0: By Sylvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon elect together with you greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love, and peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So today is our final message. From this letter from the Apostle Peter to the scattered churches, and he gives us one last command, Peter does. This is essentially, how would you say it? I know we're, a lot of us are older. the older you get, the harder it is to remember things from the past, because you, you just you, 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 you just, it just it gets, it's further away, right? I don't remember my first day of kindergarten. I don't remember it. It's, I, I don't know if I cried. I don't know if I was brave. I don't remember. But I, I can remember my kids going to school for the first day. You bring the kids to kindergarten, and it's a big deal. You know, They've they got to go inside by themselves. Like, it's a whole thing, right? And when you send your kids into kindergarten, you often say one last thing to them. You say something to, to, to encourage them, to steady them, help them be brave. This is Peter's statement. This is the thing Peter says to, his, to the church as they get out of the car and go into kindergarten. This is the last thing they're going to say. And the command is this. He says, stand firm. It's the last command he gives. So it's a whole letter to talk to the church, and the last thing he tells them is, like, i got to go. Before I go here, the I want to say to you, stand firm in this. So stand firm in what? Before we get into that, let me just say, standing firm is a tough thing to say to one another because, how do you say it? We live in a cult, so back in the day, in the 50s, the 60s, a lot of people, we lived our life, well, I, think we, I wasn't around, but from what I've read and seen and talked to people about, in, in the 50s, 60s of America, there was this, this temptation for people to just Hunker down and walk through life. Don't share your feelings. Don't talk about your feelings. Just walk and keep it all to yourself. Now, we all learned that's not a good thing. If you never talk or never share, that pain, that stress, it piles up, doesn't it? It breaks us on the inside. I might look tough on the outside, but on the inside, things are going wrong. If we, if we don't deal with our stuff, it, like people's hair can fall out. Your heart can literally fall into an irregular rhythm. Stress can run havoc on the human body, can it? Now. It can kill you straight up. It can kill you. Now. So that was how it used to be. Well, now we've gone, we've swung to the other extreme. And now we want people to deal with their emotional hurt openly. But now we kind of almost like, man, if you've got a hard day, Go ahead and lay down and cry, and you take care of you. Don't worry about nobody else. And the the language now is very much you-centered and... I want to go to a story in the Bible that shows these two different sides. Moses leads the Israelites out of the promised land. They come to the mountain, and Moses, it's the Ten Commandments. The law of God comes to the people of Israel. And then God says, I'm going to raise up priests among you. They, have this holy, they anoint and ordain the priests of Israel, Aaron being the high priest. And they are, they're literally, they put, it's crazy. Read, read Leviticus. They kill, they kill an animal, and they put blood on the right ear of the priest, the right thumb of the priest, the right foot of the priest. And those priests are cleansed to do the work of God in the temple. Well, that night's going to be a big party celebrating that God has given them priests. And the priests, what they do, they bring the prayers of the nation to God. So that night's going to be a big party to celebrate we have holy priests among us. Well, before the party happens, two of the priests, I think it's Nadab and Abihu, they just been given all this authority and power, and they decide to abuse that power they were given. It says they offered a strange fire to the Lord, and the fire consumed them. They died. Well, it turns out these two, Nadab and Abihu, those are Aaron's sons. They're his kids. So Aaron goes to Moses and goes, Moses, I can't go to celebration tonight. I can't go to the dinner. My son's passed away. I, I, I cannot do this. And Moses says to Aaron. It's a very tough passage to read. Moses tells Aaron, "Moses, Aaron, you're the high priest of the whole nation. God has just made you, given you this authority. You have to carry this pain, and you must serve the people this night. Aaron goes, okay, I'll be there. And Aaron comes to the dinner. Moses tells Aaron, you got to stand in this. Let it hurt. Let it feel bad. You have to carry the burden and still lead according to what God has given you to carry. That's tough. It's a tough word. Aaron goes to the dinner. Well, during the dinner, Aaron doesn't eat anything. Everyone's eating, dude. It's probably the best food in the world. Well, for, you know, for, for the Hebrews, it's probably like dates and leafs. Greeks eat funny things. The Mediterranean diet's weird. I don't like it. I'm just saying. It's, I, I give it a go. I'm like, I, I, you know what's crazy, though? I gave hummus a chance, and it's not bad. So anyways, um, they have this big old feast, and Aaron is, not eating, or Aaron is not eating. And Moses comes over and goes, Aaron, everyone sees you not eating. And Aaron says, my sons have died. Let me mourn in this way. Moses goes, fair. So we see in this story two sides of the same coin. On one side, We have to carry the obligations we've been given. Sometimes even though life is hard, we still have to stand and walk. We also see in that same story, we still do have to feel the hard things and face them and work our way through them. We are allowed to mourn. We are allowed to hurt. We are allowed to share our feelings. Both things are true. But in our culture right now, I think we talk a lot about uh, emotional health. We don't talk a lot about standing when we don't want to stand. I'm going to say what Peter said today. Peter said, stand firm. So, verse 12. Peter says, through Sylvanus, our faithful brothers, I regard him. I've written to you briefly, exhorting, encouraging you, and bearing witness that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in this. Well, what is Peter bearing witness to? What is Peter exhorting? Well, go to the verse before. Go to verse 10. Peter says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you to Christ Be might forever and ever. Amen. For Peter, the true grace of God is very simple. The true grace of God is Jesus Christ. Through the whole letter, the whole letter, whenever Peter mentioned Jesus, he's got to stop and be like, Jesus the man. Like in the middle of a statement, he'll be like, talk, 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 Jesus, man. He can't walk by the name and not stop and give some glory. Can't do it. If you go to the the way the letter started, 1 Peter 1, when the letter first starts, this is how Peter opens his letter. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the true grace of God. It is the gospel of Christ. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And that defeat over death is what gives us our hope. He said we've been born again to a living hope, not a dead hope. Our hope is not in a building in Rome. It's not a temple in India. Our hope is not a building on Richfield Road. Our hope is in the risen Jesus. Our hope is walking around Breathing, talking, leading, and guiding. Our hope is alive. My hope is not in wood or stone, it's in Christ who defeated death. And it says here, I've been born again to that living hope. Now, being born again is a powerful idea. We're in Flint, Michigan. We're on the east side of the city. And this side of the city's rough, man. I know it's rough. Whew, it's rough, man. I I sometimes drive around and I see things that are hard. I don't want to see them. But here, and let's say you're born in the city of Flint. Now, in the city of Flint, our schools—listen, for those who teach teaching our schools, thank God for our teachers. But the fact that our schools have a high turnover rate for teachers, a lot of our buildings are, are under-resourced and underfunded. So our schools are hard for kids here. If let's say, let's say you're 14 years old, and you want to work a job. Not a lot of jobs in the city of Flint for a 14-year-old kid. It's just what it is. Living here is a hard thing. So what do you inherit living in a, uh, a broken city like Flint? You know what you learn growing up here? You learn. You inherit. You inherit violence as a way of life. You inherit addiction. You inherit a hustle mentality. I remember when the water crisis hit and the charities wanted to give us all those water filters I'm really laughing. I'm like, you don't know who we are, like, and people, like all the WalMarts in Flushing and Mount Morris, all people all going to those Wal- WalMarts and saying, "I bought this uh, water filter. I want to bring it back." I mean, we, we in Flint, we learn how to hustle in a very bad way. So we inherit, we, we inherit these broken things. And the question is, the question is, can I ever overcome what I come from? Can I overcome the addictions I inherited from my family? Can I overcome the violence I grew up in the streets? Can I overcome that hustle-thieving nature in my own soul? And the Bible says, yes, we can. We can be born again, made new. I can, listen, even if my family name is legendary for drunkenness, within a single generation God can touch that family and change the entire story of that family name. Jesus can change it. We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That historical fact gives us hope. Our hope is not in a myth or a legend. Our hope is in historical fact. I was in a history class Last week in Chicago, when Constantine became the emperor of Rome back in like 300 AD, he wanted to find the tomb of Christ, the tomb that he, he walked out of. It's been 300 years. A lot has changed in Jerusalem. So he goes around and he's, he starts asking around, does anyone know where it's at? And some of the farmers go, oh, we know where it's at. It's under this building over there. Like, no. The building's like, oh, no, no, under that building is where the tomb was. So, Constantine orders some guys to tear this building down. And underneath it, they find an unused tomb. And if you go over Israel today, that thing is still there. This unused tomb from the time of Christ. And it's like, it's stinking empty, there's no bones. There's nothing in there. Even the, even the history of, our, of the world shows we, we serve a risen Savior. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first point I want to make is this. We must stand firm in the gospel. We must stand firm on this gospel. What's crazy is a lot of us believers, when we finally get some courage to be courageous, to stand we often stand on the wrong thing. The world we live in, as it walks away from God, our culture seeks a new way to be human. And one of the answers for our culture is political. Like, I'm I'm a huge nerd, I read a lot of things, I don't wanna be too scary or freaky, But if you ever read, I've read the works of a guy named Karl Marx, just to see what's going on. Everyone talks about this guy. And Karl Marx said that humans are just political animals. We are not spiritual. We're political beings. And our modern world believes that. And our modern world puts their hope and faith in political establishments. And one of the sad things I've seen in my lifetime is how the church of Jesus Christ jumps in bed with those guys. We start believing that our hope is some political party or some candidate. They don't have the Christ. All they got is an elephant or a donkey. We as Christians should not follow them off that cliff. Our hope is not whoever gets elected in 2024. It's going to be a nasty, long, boring moment in history. Whoever wins... Listen, vote for someone. Believe, believe, believe in someone. That's fine. But whoever wins, you got to remember our hope is not in them. Our hope is in Christ, the true king on the throne. Our, we must stand firm in the gospel, not on side issues. Because when we as Christians choose to make our stand on secondary issues, when we give our voice for things that are meaningless, we lose the authority to speak about things that are meaningful. We can't waste our power on side issues. The biggest Protestant denomination in America two weeks ago took a big old stand. I have good friends. A lot of my friends are in that denomination. Their stand made the New York Times. Their stand made the Wall Street Journal. And their stand was on a secondary issue. And it made the church look mean. It made us look small-minded and antagonistic. I'm like, why are you using your power to fight for this silly thing when people are separated from God and walking to hell? How is this where you stand? We stand on the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in that. Peter goes on. Peter says, chapter 5 and verse, I believe, 13, he says, She who is in Babylon sends you greetings. This is a very weird thing that Peter says here. He says, me and my friends of Babylon send you greetings, church. Only one problem with this. Babylon has been destroyed for 200 years. That's like, me, that's like me saying, that's like me writing you a letter and saying, me and all my homies from Atlantis say hello. Like, there's no Atlantis. What are you talking about? When Peter says, I'm writing to you for Babylon, what is he talking about? The word Babylon, that city name, you'll see Revelation as well. The Christians... So Babylon was this ancient empire. It's Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar that marches to Jerusalem, surrounds the city, and burns down God's temple. Babylon's a picture of the world system that is against God. Now, Peter's in Rome. He's like, I'm in Rome, but really, Rome is hell on earth. I write to you from the pit. I write to you from the heart of the world power, Rome. He calls it Babylon. And here's the truth of things for us. We must stand firm in Babylon. Because here's the reality of things. In America, there was a time, generations ago, where most Americans, they shared the same assumptions about the nature of the universe. The people in power, even if they weren't Christians, they believed Christian things about the image of God and humanity, what was valuable and good, that's all changing. Our society is becoming more and more secular, more and more pagan. They're walking away from the things of God. And as that happens, being Christian becomes less and less cool. We're going to become the outsiders eventually. Believing in God is going to be seen as like bigoted, uh, anti-intellectual, We're gonna seem like we are backwards, that's okay. We have to stand firm for the Lord out there in a world that is antagonistic to him. When I first moved to Chicago, I went to college in Chicago. I made a a decision where my first week I decided to wear my Detroit Tigers t-shirt. I'm walking around the city of Chicago and dude, I, I didn't know. People beeping me, flipping me off. I'm like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was what? Oh, the D. Like, I'm like, oh, I was wearing the wrong shirt in the wrong town. Listen, you go out there, you're in the wrong town. You still gotta wear your Jesus shirt out there in this town. You have to be with Jesus even in a world that doesn't like him. We can't be secret disciples. We can't be ashamed of the Jesus we love. Amen. It's hard. Do listen. I have been tempted to be ashamed. I have a, I have a guy who cuts my hair, and down in the barbershop, the boys talk. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that. Guys love to talk smack. So I'm in my chair get my hair cut. The so guys are talking, and they're dogging the church. The church as a whole. And I'm just like, do 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 do, rin am that. So as we're talking, someone just that comes up. After, that, that, fades into the background. But five minutes later, someone's like, "Hey man, what do you do, what do, you do for a living?" And I'm like, "Oh man, <laughs> I could just be like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm an influencer, <laughs> or I'm a, what do they call that? What, what what did President Obama do? He was a community organizer. I'm a community organizer." I wanted to be ashamed. I wanted to hide my sticking membership card to Jesus. But Paul says, oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. And he just goes, whoosh. Everyone's like, what did I just say? Like, it's crazy. But listen, we have to stand firm out there in the world. It's very tempting to just, like, hide from the world to stay in my house, to watch TV, to never know my neighbor, to not engage the, the big bad world. But we have to go out into Babylon and stand firm out in the darkness. The light only shines if it goes out into the darkness. If all the light is in one place, what good are we doing? we got to go out there. We got, Peter goes, listen, I'm in Babylon. And so are you. Remember, the church he's writing to, they are scattered to the wind. They have lost their homes. They have lost their jobs. They have been thrown out all over the place. He's like, listen, out there in Babylon, you guys, you stand firm out there. Hold on to Jesus. And it's hard. I, I said earlier that the last command of Peter was to stand firm. Well, it's not the last command. The last command in verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. That's the last command. The King James says, greet one another with a holy kiss, the King James says. But when I, I I, when I was a new believer, 14 years old, and I read that verse, I was like, jackpot. <laughs> Someone's going to kiss me. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Listen, it was a weird verse, though. I'm like, kiss people at church? What are you talking about? Listen, in America, kissing is very um, romantic. In other cultures, kissing is as, as, as easy as a handshake. Like, among my, my grandma and my great-aunts, whenever I go to Texas to see my family, all my great-aunts and uncles, they would kiss me on the cheek. And it was, it was very, very familial. It was very, very much an act of love, right? Now, not everyone's like that. Like, the more Norwegian cultures, they're just like, hello, son. You please me. You know, it's, it's very, it's very, very cold, different, but among the Latin cultures, it's very warm, it's very affectionate. And the Greeks were affectionate people. So he says to them, He says, Listen, greet one another with a holy kiss, a kiss of love. He's saying, Be kind to one another, be affectionate to one another, be friends one to another. As you read the passage, it starts out in verse 12, it says. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother. Silvanus is the Romanized version of the name Silas. Silas was Paul's boy. And Silas apparently was also Peter's good friend. And he says this, he goes, man, Silas brings this letter to you. I love this guy, take care of him when he gets to you. Later on he says, I send you greetings, with, and so does my son in the faith, Mark. If you want to do a Bible study, study the guy named John Mark. John Mark is a guy who, early in his life, drops the ball, fails everybody. He's kind of ashamed of what, how he just, he, just, he just dropped the ball. Well, Barnabas sees Mark and says, this guy has some potential in this guy. So Barnabas gives him like a second chance. And then Peter kind of takes John under his wing. And John Mark becomes a faithful, wonderful minister of the Lord. And here Peter goes, you know who John Mark is? John Mark is my son in the faith. Listen, if we're going to stand firm, we can't do it alone. We can't. We must stand firm together. If, that, if the world out there is hostile to us, we need brothers and sisters in the church of God to back our play. When I go out there and take my hits, I want to come back here and get, to get bandaged up to prepare myself to go back out there and take more hits. This, we must stand firm together, not alone. I know in America, our idea of heroism is that lone cowboy facing all 40 guns by himself. That's America heroes. Listen, that's not biblical heroism. It's never just Moses. It's Moses and Aaron together. It's never just Paul. It's Paul and Silas. It's never just Peter. It's Peter and his boy, John Mark. It's always people together in community. Years ago, it was summertime. My wife and I are shopping, and I'm like, darling, I think we're at Myers. I'm like, babe. And at the moment, at the moment in our life, we were pumped up because that summer, Avengers Endgame was coming out. Like the biggest movie of my lifetime. And we we're pumped about it. And I'm like, babe, okay, we're gonna see it opening day. And then a thought came to me. I'm like, babe, this is going to be a cultural moment. It's like an Empire Strikes Back moment for the culture. I'm like, our kids should be there. And she's like, our kids have seen no Marvel movies. And I'm like, babe, I'm going watch it. I'm like, we got 25 days to watch 20 movies. She so goes, no. I'm like, baby, I believe in us. So we go home, and we watch 20 movies in 25 days. Stand firm. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> we do, we do, we watch all the Marvel movies, right? And uh, there's the one, uh, Avengers Infinity War ends, and the heroes lose, right? And I remember Spider-Man dies, and my son, Spider-Man is his boy. Spider-Man is his boy. He turned away, like, no, Daddy, no. Like, it was crazy, so Endgame comes out. We and we, my family is how we roll. We don't go down a trillium to Grand Blanc movie theater. We go to our Flint movie theater. We go to the Rave, baby. The Rave is where it's at. Now, it's, so, have I been in a theater where they turn the lights off and say there's a fight, everyone's got to leave? Sure, it happens sometimes, but it's our theater. Um, we got great popcorn. It's really cheap. I love the Rave. At the Rave here in Flint, People often talk to the screen if you don't know it's it's, it's so fun It is so fun So watch Avengers Endgame and the end of the movie is happening People are yelling at the screen. People are cheering. It is it is a It's an experience dude. It is an experience And in the movie, it's Captain America He's bloody his arms broken his shields broken and he's all alone and the armies of stinking the bad guy There's all the armies versus broken cap uh, and then the portal opens and heroes start coming out to help him when that when it happened that portal opened my son he's next to me and he's hopping in his chair he's like nine eight years old he's like dad dad, dad you know who's coming I'm like, i know he goes, spider-man's coming like, i know Spider-Man's coming just call it's good it's gonna be okay and all his friends come out and now they got a chance He's alone. He was a dead man. But he, now he's got his buddies with him. And, he's, and you're like, they're not going to win. And, you, and, dude, this, and dude, the theater is cheering. on like, Everyone's yelling. Stuff. It was a moment in our lives. Let me tell you. As believers in Christ, we cannot do it alone. We will get our head kicked in. But if we stand in Christ together, Listen, (laughs) Avengers Assemble, baby. If we do it together, we are not alone. We can together do so much more than we do alone. We need each other to back each other up. It's an awesome thing. Stand firm together. So, Peter ends this letter. He says, Stand firm in the gospel, stand firm for Christ. Stand firm. In Babylon, that world out there doesn't like Jesus. That's okay. That's okay. In the early church, they lived in Rome, and the Romans hated the Christ. And guess what? The church thrived under that persecution. Thrived. We need not be afraid. Let him come. It might be hard. Let him come stand firm in Babylon, and we must stand firm together. None of us can do it alone. We can't. It's too hard. It's too hard. With that said, let us pray together. Father in heaven, we love you so much. I pray for all of us that we'd stand firm with you, O Lord. As we take the hits this life has, as we are discouraged, we fall down, we get scraped up. Let us hold on to you. Let us hold on to you with all that is in us. Out to this hard world, let us hold on to you. Let us hold on to you together, knowing that we can do much more together than we can do alone. So, Father, help us to stand firm. Let us hear Peter's exhortation. Let us stand firm in your gospel. We love you, Jesus, very much. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.